We plan to talk through the issues faced by startup founders and the people close to them. That overused phrase, work-life balance. It is an amazingly focusing time. This is what we do, you know, aside from our families, this is our whole work life. I'm also known as Dr. Wine. or her significant other would both get value from the episode. So I hear you think maybe you've settled on what's next. That's a good way to put it. I think maybe I've settled on what's next. No, I, uh, I have settled on what's next and it is starting an accelerator for bootstrappers. So I said, think maybe, because it's obviously taken you some time to get to a point where you felt like you could kind of double down on this idea, although it's been an idea that you've been mulling over for months and months, really since you left Drip. Yeah. And truthfully, this idea of, so the the process of thinking about what's next started, you're right. Last couple of months I was at Drip that kind of started in my head of like, oh, what will be next? Will there be anything? Blah, blah, blah. But this actual idea of kind of starting a accelerator for folks who don't want to go the venture funded route, I have in a notebook, I wrote down at least five, maybe six, seven years ago. And I went down the thought process of, of doing it. And I thought, I don't want to deal with all the, the investor headaches, right, of raising, because I will then have to raise my own fund to then divvy out to bootstrappers. So that process, you know, that thought process has, has gone on for years. But you're right, even just this immediate one has been, you know, five, six, seven months. So what is an accelerator? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I was just having lunch with someone and they said, are you raising a fund or an accelerator? And I was like, well, you tell me what you think the difference is because I have my opinion on what the difference is. But in essence, you know, when you raise a fund, so let's say you raise a venture fund or you raise an angel fund or a seed fund, you go around to wealthy individuals or you go to endowments or you go to large, you know, private equity or you just go to these folks with big bank accounts, family offices is another term, Google that if you don't know what that is. And you say, hey, I'm starting a fund. It's going to invest in a bunch of startups. And sometimes you have a thesis and you say, I'm investing in biotech or I'm investing in SaaS only or high tech or only in the Minnesota area or whatever. And sometimes you don't. And you just say, I'm going to invest your money and, and do a good job with it. And the hypothesis is typically that you're trying to go for companies that are going to be a $100 million market. You know, they're going to be worth a billion dollars someday. That's pretty much what I'll say 99.9% of accelerators and, and venture funds go after. Okay. The fund is the money. Yep. The accelerator is much like Y Combinator, where they give you a small amount up front. Typically, it's between 100 and let's say $150,000. And they give you mentoring and a cohort. And it was designed after Paul Graham had been in grad school. And he really liked the model of having a cohort of grad students that are kind of building projects together, you know, whether it's on their own individually or whether it's healthy competition and, and the teamwork and the friendship that develops. And so he designed Y Combinator, which was the first accelerator after that approach. And so they brought eight teams together, their very first YC cohort, which I, I don't know, it's 
2005, 2006, 2007, somewhere in that range, eight teams together. And they gave each of them around a hundred grand. And they said, you have three months to get to a demoable product. And that's what, that's the model of an accelerator that has typically been done. Most accelerators are at a location. So you move to the Bay Area for three months or you move to Boston for three months. Most accelerators are three to four months long. And there's a little bit of funding, but a lot more guidance. So there's a lot of accelerators, like hundreds. I don't totally live in this world and I could name probably five or six. And yes, there are, there are hundreds. So, um, like, why are, why are you doing this? (laughs) Like why add, why add another one? That's a good question. I asked all the good questions. I just want to say that right now. (laughs) All my questions are good. Because there's a gap. There's a gap in the market where if you are a traditional you know, micro-conf attendee, if, if you follow what I've been talking about for 12 years, if you listen to startups for the rest of us, the odds are good that you're late 20s to mid 40s. You probably have a spouse. You might own a home. You probably have a day job. Even if you're a consultant, you probably can't relocate to San Francisco for three months and live on a few thousand bucks and crammed in an apartment with six other people in order to afford it. And you probably don't want to go for a $100 million exit or a billion dollar exit for that matter. And so you're not going to fit your idea, your WordPress plugin, your micro SaaS app, your idea that could make you six figures a year, mid six figures or low seven, whatever, isn't a fit for almost every other, every other accelerator I know. And frankly, every VC fund I know will not write you a check. They won't give you the time of day. So the problem with accelerators as they exist right now is that they are they're on site, they tend to be intensive, and they tend to be for folks who really want a huge exit. And our sort of all of the training or acceleration is designed for that kind of outcome. Yep. That's right. That's their thesis. And and the start small, stay small thesis. <laughs> totally. Is to basically fund the rest of us. You know, we could call it the accelerator for the rest of us because it's for those of us who can't do that, but who could use basically a, a small stipend each month over the course of a year. So, it, and it's remote, right? So all the, not all, but a lot of the community takes place during weekly call, weekly office hours, which are done via, let's just say Zoom, right? Or some video platform. And then a quarterly in-person get together. And a lot of it is being able to, to shed the day job because you have to commit to building a startup. You're not going to do it on the side anymore because you're going to get X thousand bucks a month that should pay your bills or, or most of them. But you're not going to have to do it in three months. You're going to have this full, you know, kind of 12-month runway, assuming you hit milestones, predetermined milestones, to get to that point where it makes, you know, makes sense where you can support yourself or where you're ready, where you are ready for another little injection of capital. And we're kind of setting ourselves up to raise enough money to, to be able to do some follow-on stuff like that too. So it really is something that's designed with, it sounds like more longer term, maybe a little bit slower, but perhaps deeper mentorship along with at least one, maybe two rounds of funding. And I don't know what else makes this kind of uniquely Rob Walling. Well, it's it's something that I've been championing for several years. First, I did it quietly as I placed my own fund-strapped investments. You know, I put little investments in companies that I believed could get to, let's say, low seven figures, mid seven figures. 
but that will never have this outsized insane exit. And I've been testing these waters and I've started talking about them on the podcast and I've talked about them at microconf talks. And, you know, I've talked to people that this is a, this is a thing and this is a gap and there's no one there to fill it. And pretty soon I realized, oh, maybe my next act is that I need to find, because I'll, I'll tell you, when I had this idea six, seven years ago, I wrote it in the notebook, I didn't pursue it because I didn't want to deal with the headache of all the investment side of things, dealing with the, the people who write you the checks, the legal side of it, the paperwork. I mean, it's just something that, that sucks the life out of me. One thing that changes that for me is I have a, essentially a business partner in this who's going to be, he has connections in that world and a lot of experience in that world and is willing and able to handle that side of it. And so I'm able to basically, right now I advise startups, I invest in startups, and this is a way for me to level up that game, right? And offer my advice to even more startups who make it through the gate in essence and to help fund more of those and help more people get to the point of, it sounds cheesy, but it's, it's what we all aspire to as bootstrappers. It's like financial freedom, right? It's having a business that like supports you and, you know, and your family and your kind of your, your lifestyle, so to speak, and also makes money for as us as investors. I mean, it sounds weird to say we're going to invest in bootstrappers because that's kind of a contradiction, but it's an oxymoron. Yep. Yep. But it's a real thing. There's a way to do it. You know, why don't people want to take investment, VC investment? Because they could lose control of their company because it, it's a big paperwork headache because they don't want to stress their company to $100 million when maybe it can be a really successful 5 or $10 million company, super profitable. But it, to be a $100 million company, you have to risk everything and burn the company out, flame it out. I've seen this happen over and over because you don't want to work 90-hour weeks because you don't want to move to the Bay Area or Boston or Seattle where you can actually get funding where, you know, there's all these reasons. And it's like those reasons don't apply to what I'm talking about. Right? They don't apply to the angel checks that I've written, and they're not going to apply to this, this model that, that we're looking at implementing. We want to take away a lot of the negatives of, of raising a small amount of, of money. And I think, too, from a, a mental health perspective, like you sort of talk about it as flaming out the company, but I think it, it often feels like your sanity has to go in order for the company to survive or the company goes in order for you to make choices that feel more consistent with the other commitments that you've made in your life. And so I think, you know, this infusion of some capital can really make the difference in that people can work at a pace that feels more sane. People can kind of take care of themselves and take care of their families and still grow something that's worth growing. See, that's the idea. Like the way you captured it there is I, I just believe there is another way and I want to put my, I've been put trying to put my money where my mouth is and I want to put even more money where my mouth is on this topic. I bet like you do too. Like I meet so many people, let's say at microconf or other conferences who are these talented developers, talented entrepreneurs, talented designers who are like, I want to start a company or, but I've been trying to do it for six months on the side and it's just too hard and I can't make the jump to doing it full time because I don't, you know, I don't have the runway. I'm making a house payment. I have a wife and a kid, you know, whatever. And I believe that like it doesn't take much to get that talented founder to be able to focus full time on the job on their business. I know the difference that that makes. And once someone is focused 100% on their business for a period of time with support and with people that they can call for help or for ideas with like very specialized training around their business, then you know, I think it just completely amplifies the likelihood that they're going to be successful. That's the hypothesis. That's what I believe as well. 
and my business partner. I mean, he he brought it up to me really early on and said, "I, you know, how many people have we seen do this?" And so it, it's it's becoming more and more obvious the more people we talk to as well, just confirming our our suspicions and, and thoughts. Do you have anything that you're nervous about about this, or like what's? It makes sense. And we've obviously talked a lot about it. I think it will probably make sense to most of the people who are listening, who run businesses, this idea that like, hey, a little bit of money, a little bit of commitment can go a really long way when you already have some momentum. But this is sort of your next business, business number 87.5, because I don't count smartguy.com. Smartguy.net. Yeah. There it is. That's why, because it was a .net. It was a .biz ninja. (laughs) How does it feel for you here at the beginning of another another round for yourself? Well, I mean, this part's always the most exciting. The idea part? Yeah. Yeah, the idea part is when you have the madness for it and you're like, oh man, I just this is great. It's going to work. Sky's the limit. There's no, you know, it's like when you sit down to write the book or sit down to write the blog post and it's like, oh, this thing's going to be the best thing ever. And then you actually write it and you're like, dang it. It didn't come out the way I wanted. I mean, that's how like no startup idea you survived for first contact with the market. It's like, I, I'm, I'm super excited about it. I'm also, I can see all the risks, right? That's as like a former developer, I, I, I think of everything that can go wrong and I'm trying to stave those off, you know, and get them answered quickly. It's like, what if we can't, what if this doesn't work out? What if we don't get enough of this? What if this part's too hard? What if, what if, what if, how can we mitigate those risks? So I'll admit quite a bit of my time is spent thinking about that, but also there's a good chunk of me that is excited to finally get behind this thing that's been percolating in me for I'm going to have to look up where I started writing, thinking, you know, I have notebooks and I also have, I went back and searched the transcripts of startups for the rest of us, which since we do full transcripts is like a record of kind of what I'm thinking about. It's kind of nice. And I believe it was again, you know, five years ago, six years ago, somewhere in that range where I, where I first started talking about this concept. And so it's like neat to see that it's been percolating this long. And it's something that I've kind of believed should be around. I even talked with, uh, yeah, again, this is seven years ago, eight years ago. I talked with Jason Cohen, about just this idea, because I was kind of saying, hey, I'm going to, I think I was going to do Hittail. And he was saying that that won't be a huge business. But then we started talking about how he had invested in some smaller businesses. And we talked about a model and what that might look like. And anyways, I'm, I'm rambling here, but it's like, I'm excited to be able to finally embrace that because I've known that no one else has, right? I don't feel like anyone else has done a great job addressing this need in the market. And maybe that, you know, that's a little bit of a yellow flag for me. Maybe it's because it's not going to work. But that's what I would say about any startup idea I was going to tackle. Sure. And I think who knows how it will all pan out, but this this next step makes a lot of sense to me. You've done this as a founder yourself. You've done it all the way from like the sort of coding process and the architecture of a product all the way through an exit. I mean, I, there's not sort of a part of a bootstrap startup that you haven't had direct experience with. And then I think about your longstanding value of being a teacher of somebody who shares information. Obviously microconf is a product of that software by Rob, the the old school blog is a product of that. Like these are things that you have been doing yourself and teaching other people how to do since, you know, the internet was a thing. And I think it makes a lot of sense to combine those skills 
in this kind of like deeper mentorship way. You know, microconf is kind of open to lots and lots of people, but it's, it's low touch, it's low contact, it's low investment. Uh, people buy a ticket and they have a great experience. But I think this level of like being able to get into the nitty gritty with businesses that you're really excited about and believe in, I think is going to be really fun for you and rewarding. And hopefully will buy me some more shoes. And that really is the goal after all. <laughs> that was such a oh, funny thing to say. <laughs> I don't know, just because because I clearly don't don't need any more shoes. Well, that's yeah, that's a good. I'm thing. also like not the kind of wife who's like, go make money, honey. Go so make I money, so I can buy shoes. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's like that's not really the motivation of why why we're doing these things. No, but I I like the way you kind of summarize that because I think back to writing my first book and starting the Micropreneur Academy, which became Founder Cafe, starting the podcast, then starting Microconf and they all pointed in a direction, right? And I have helped people as much as I can along the way, but I could only help people so much, you know, because I was doing my own thing because I didn't have buckets of money to give them and help them along. I could give advice, oftentimes not even direct advice, right? Oftentimes it's advice in a podcast outline, you know, or advice to a question that someone asked on, on the podcast or taking a bunch of questions and turning them into a book or a blog post. And so, I've, I've just always enjoyed that. It's something I've enjoyed and it's been relatively, you know, lucrative for me. I mean, I've made a bazillion times more money from actual startups and software and, and products rather than giving advice, but it, it has been, it has made it worth my time, I guess, is what I'll say. And I view this as a leveling up of that. Like this gives me the ability to do more of that. And I really have always enjoyed, I've always enjoyed it. It's something that I was doing for free for several years before I wrote the first book. So you can tell that I enjoy it, you know, if I was doing it and not getting paid, right? I mean, this is this is neither here nor there, but like I can't imagine you doing anything else. Like I can't imagine you doing another SaaS right now. Maybe someday, but like not right now. It just It just feels like it's a different kind of season in your life after the drip acquisition. Yeah, and it is nice that this is different, right? An accelerator is different. It's different set of challenges, different skill sets, different victories. I'm just a whole different experience than starting another SaaS app. And that's that's good and bad. It's bad because it's going to be difficult and it's going to be things I haven't done before and it's going to be challenging. But it's good because it's going to be difficult and it's going to be challenging and it's things I haven't done before, right? I mean, it's like I'm going to be learning a lot of things. And that's, I think for all of us as entrepreneurs, that's what keeps us excited and into what we're doing. So what is this um, magic accelerator called and how can people learn more about it? And are you interested in funding a psychologist who would like to write books and launch courses? <laughs> nice. I like Where <laughs> do I apply? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, so we're actually recording this a few weeks before it goes live. And at the time of recording it, we don't have a name, which means I don't have a domain name. But if this sounds interesting to you as a listener, go to robwalling.com slash fund, F-U-N-D. And I'm doing that versus slash accelerator because it's shorter and easier to remember. So robwalling dot com slash fund. And I'm going to have that redirect to whatever the ultimate location is. And if for some reason that doesn't work, just sign up 
sign up for my email list right there, robwalling.com, enter your email. I'm going to be letting the list know what's going on with this. That's how I'm going to be communicating that info. I guess I better sign up for your mailing list. Are you not on the mailing list? Ugh, I'm going to put you on now. Why would I want to get email from you? Seriously, I live with you. I see you every day. <laughs> I know. That's why. Because you know that you should be listening to things I say on business and startups. Are you on my email list? And many sundry things. I am. I get the email do every you, Do you read my emails? Yeah. I click through to the blog posts and everything. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, sweet. We can talk about this on the next podcast. So that's a good reminder. There is a Zen founder email list and we, we rarely send more than three emails a month. So we will not blow up your inbox, I promise. And it's a great way to keep in touch with what is going on with the podcast as well as with Rob and Sherry, apparently. So please do sign up. You can sign up at zenfounder.com and that will be fun. We'll be in touch. Thanks for listening to this episode of Zen Founder. Our theme song is A New Beginning by bensound.com, used under Creative Commons.